Good morning again, everybody. I'm excited to be wrapping up our series on prayer, especially as we look to the Psalms. It's been a really wonderful journey as we've looked at even the anguish around doubt and prayer, about surrendering our lives to God in prayer, around walking and praying, if you were here last week. So kudos to all of you who walked around in the, the hot and dirty land. And today we're wrapping it up, and we're this, there's still a week of this within our communities, but we're wrapping it up with this word praise. What does it mean to pray to God with a heart of praise? Or there's this biblical word that's probably strange to you as you read it. I think it's one of those words, for me at least, through my life, I'd read through it and be like, yeah, I know I'm supposed to know what that word means, but I'm just going to keep moving. This word extol, uh, which is really a combination of several of our own words, means to celebrate, like the, the Lakers making it to the next round. It means to, to honor, you know, like to, to kind of do a, the ceremony of which you elevate someone, to acknowledge, to praise. And so that is a key word that you find throughout the entire Psalms. And so today we're going to learn how is it that we pray with that kind of praise to God. Uh, but since it's Mother's Day, I, I just want us to imagine first if a child wrote this card to their mother to celebrate them. What if it said something like this? Dear mom, happy Mother's Day. You do so many things. You wash the dishes. You make my lunches. You pay the bills on time. Thanks. Also, you're an Enneagram 4. Your Myers-Briggs is an INFJ. You got a bachelor's in nursing with a 3.5 GPA. You're 38 years old. You delivered me at 6.10 a.m. That's you. Now back to me. I really need some new shoes. Also, can you start making those Nutella and peanut butter sandwiches for my lunches? If you can't make that happen, it's okay. I think Emily's mom will make those for me if you don't. I really want to go to Colorado this summer. Can't you make that happen? If we don't go, I'm going to question this entire card. What are we having for dinner? Can I have a snack? Remember when you told me a few years ago you would give me a police Lego set? When are you going to get on that? Also, sorry I didn't make my bed. But that's because you didn't remind me to do it. Happy Mother's Day. P.S., I did a really good job with this, didn't I? <laughs> Mothers in the room or other emotionally intelligent people, what's your feedback about this card? What are your first impressions with this card? Not great? Yeah, what's not great about it? It's pretty narcissistic, yeah. It's like a card about them, yeah. What else? You've heard some of those slides before. <laughs> Yeah, there's some inspiration, yeah. It's not really thankful, yeah. Yeah, they're, they're like, ah, I thank you, and they're great at listing off the things that they do, yeah, right? It's not about the mom, yeah. It's not about the essence, but they're telling all these facts about the mom, yeah, they're like, here's all the facts, yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's just some stuff. Yeah, 
<laughs> exactly, yeah. A lot of requests. So many requests, yes. Yeah. It's very confused about what this is all about, right? And I mean, you're also pretty smart people, but I'm going to say this is how we praise God. We know how to say thank you for the few things that we can remember, uh, but they're for us. They're thank you for what you do for me. We know how to speak of theology. Like we know how to talk about the details and the incre. Thank you. I was never going to get that word out. We know how to talk about God, say some things that are true, the facts. We know how to even confess our sins while also kind of blaming God for those sins. We are like all of, like a long line of Adams that says, yes, I did sin, but it's because the woman you gave me made me sin, right? Y'all remember that from a few months ago? But we don't know how to put God uh, or really anyone else at the center of our lips, of our minds, of our hearts, and declare just purely out of an appreciation and an honor for him, like, God, you are good. We don't know how to, we don't know how to do that. Um, and the greatest hindrance to us being able to utter praise to God is really you. Like, you're in the way. Uh, all we can do is see ourselves. We can only see God in light of ourselves. Um, even we can only see God's actions and his works in light of what he's done for us or what he hasn't done for us or the, the promises that we think that he's made and he hasn't accomplished for us. There are not a lot of people I've met that are really in anguish for the promises God hasn't fulfilled for somebody else. They're in anguish for the promises God hasn't done for them. So how do we get out of this, you know, praise that's like this letter for Mother's Day? How do we get out of that and actually praise God? Ironically, or maybe hard or cruelly, cosmically, the only way to get towards praising God only is to actually praise God. When to only be called into praise by somebody else capturing an image of God that far exceeds our own small little world. And that's what today's psalm does. Psalm 145 is kind of the, the anti-Mother's Day card or craft. It's really about calling us, increasing our imagination for exactly who God is and what he has done and how we enter into this constant reality of exalting and extolling the Lord. And so it's Psalm 145. You can pull it up or flip into your Bibles to it. It's towards the end of, of the Psalms. And it says this, and, and Kenny read parts of this as well, but it says, I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your words and works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty, and I will meditate on your wonderful works. 
They tell of the power of your awesome works, and I will proclaim your great deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. All your works praise you, Lord. Your faithful people extol you. They tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might, so that all people may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is trustworthy in all his promises and faithful in all he does. The Lord upholds all who fall and lifts up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand, and you satisfy the desires of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and faithful in all that he does. The Lord is near to all who call on him and to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry, and he saves them. The Lord watches over all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak in praise of the Lord, yet every, let every creature praise his holy name forever and ever. This is God's word. Here's what the psalmist says in the beginning. God is worthy. He is so worthy and awesome. I mean, he goes, he, he begins just by saying, you know, great is the Lord, and he's the most worthy of all praise. His greatness, nobody can even understand. Nobody could measure, nobody can even comprehend. He goes on to say, generation to generation, like there's this long line of people, of, of whole bodies of people just sharing to each other, passing the baton on of like, this is how great God is, over and over and over again. His awesome deeds, his incredible awesomeness. It says in verse 6 that they tell of the power of his awesome works. What is it? If you like go back, there's some, you know, dangling modifiers out there. And he's talking about the works themselves. The things God actually does keep coming back to declare how awesome God is at what he does. And it's not just what he says, which is awesome, but it's also an acrostic. You know, maybe you remember old school elementary level poetry where you just, the, the first line, or, or a Leslie Nope kind of poetry too, if you watch Parks and Recreation. None of you do, as I can see. An acrostic is, you know, you have a bunch of words or letters, and then you write a line for each thing. And what they've done, and there's many psalms that, that have done this, is they've taken the entire Hebrew alphabet, and the first line of each of these poems starts with a different letter, and they spell the entire alphabet out. They have to be so creative. Like, as you read it, you're like, this is amazing how they've put in all of this effort to start each line with the next letter of the alphabet. And what it is, is, I mean, it's pretty impressive, but really what they're doing as they write this is saying that God is worthy of every word, of every letter, of every aspect of our language. If we took the whole language and the building blocks of our language and we meticulously put in line how worthy God is of being praised, we would still only be scratching the surface of how awesome he really is. 
And it's not only that, but they're also saying that he's worthy of every ounce of creativity that we can put into this, just to praise him, just to say, this is who he is and this is what he's done. And what he's done is not only for you, but he's done this for all, but he's formed you. As we, you know, looked at these cute babies, you were once a cute baby, most of us. You know, I'm not super cute. But we were all once a baby, very vulnerable in our mothers, then outside of our mothers. And then God not only did that, but he shaped you and he wove a story over your life that not only declares his worth, but also ends in you receiving and standing in the glory of God forever and ever, proclaiming him as Savior. Like that's what, when it says, oh, look how marvelous his works are. I meditate on just how wonderful that is. That's what he's done for all of you. What's impressive here is that they're not just talking about what God's done for them. There's plenty of those psalms, and they're very worthwhile, and you should do that. This is talking about just imagining the scope of God's work across many people, across generations. How close God has been to you is how close he's been to millions in this moment. And then just to spend time meditating on that, not just what he's done for you, but what he is reproducing in millions and millions of people across languages, across continents, how he is redeeming and restoring and weaving himself into all stories. At the end of the story, the scriptures, there's a whole host of heavenly creatures and they're gathering around and there's a scroll of life. And if you could unroll the scroll, then there'd be life for all of the people who are gathered around it. But they're all, you know, kind of talking to each other and proclaiming to each other, who's worthy to undo this scroll? The Marvel movies kind of stole this whole concept with Thor and his hammer and Captain America. And they're like, oh, who can wield this hammer? And then, you know, at the end of the movie, if you haven't seen it, you're not going to, but Captain America picks up the hammer and it's awesome. It's like, oh, he's worthy. What happens in the scriptures, though, is that they're all looking, who can open this thing and bring life? And then they all declare together the lamb that was slain. He is worthy. He's the only one worthy. And then they start into a song that we will be participants in that lasts for eternity where they say, worthy is the lamb who was slain. Over and over again. God isn't worthy to just wield some awesome powers, but he is worthy to wield the grace and the redemption and the restoration of all things. And so that's the really good news, that he is worthy of all praise so you don't have to spend your life seeking it trying to prove that you are worthy of somebody's praise, trying to stretch language to make you look awesome and wonderful, trying to use every ounce of your creativity to somehow elevate yourself. You don't have to do that. It's exhausting. Why? Because he is worthy of unending praise. So if you want to praise God in your prayer life, it is going to start with that liberating power of no longer trying to prove yourself proving your worth, and instead you just get to proclaim God's worth. But he goes on. There's more. In verse 7, he switches and he starts talking about God's abundant goodness. What do all of these things do? They celebrate the abundant goodness of God. They're joyfully singing of his righteousness. Righteousness is this amazing biblical concept and truth that the righteousness is, is the thing that brings all things into what is right and what is whole. That's the Hebrew word righteousness. 
bringing together wholeness and rightness for all. And so what he's saying is like, God is so good. He's abundantly good. We sing about his righteousness to bring all things whole. And how does he do it? It says that it's his character. He's gracious. He's compassionate. He's patient, slow to anger, and he is rich in love. That is, that is righteousness. That is the, the essence of what it means to be a right being in this world. And he has it and he is it. And then it says this wild thing in verse 9. It says, the Lord is good to all. To all. Not good to some. Not good to a few. The Lord is good to all. Even the enemy, who with their lips is declaring falsehoods against God, even as they're doing that, they're experiencing God's goodness as they breathe in oxygen and have their faces worn by the sun. God is good to all. Rich in love to all. Compassionate to all. Even to those who are kind of like the critical worshiper, follower of Jesus, you know, the person who tries to write a Yelp review about God all the time on how well he's performing, while we also kind of critique and like, I might remove a star from God these days. He's not really, you know, living it up. You know, his delivery is a little slow. The food was a little cold. Because I don't like what he did this month, this day, this situation, or this grief. But even as that worshiper does that, God is being unendingly good to us. Meeting that worshiper, meeting all of us in that space with compassion and grace. A completely good, always and forever God. Always loving, always compassionate, always patient, always gracious, always bringing wholeness and righteousness, always which is hard to understand, that kind of goodness. Because we live in a world where people are inconsistently good or inconsistently bad. You know, it's basically every sitcom is based off of that. You know, Michael Scott is not consistently bad. Sometimes he's good. Sometimes he's not. Uh, We have good sunsets and bad sunsets. That's the truth. Uh, Like today's sunrise, pretty lame. If you were up for it, just a big cloud in the sky. Good weather, bad days, bad weather, right? We know that. Even if the weather is always 70 and sunny, we still find it's windy days, not windy days. Smoky days, not smoky days. There's good movies and bad movies. You know, even Tom Hanks has that movie with the dolphin lady or whatever. The mermaid, thank you. <laughs> you, you love it. <laughs> Even Viola Davis has movies that she's like, I wish I didn't do the help. Even Steph Curry misses shots. The other day, he missed a lot. Too soon. Wow. So suddenly, you guys care about the Warriors? I feel so betrayed. All right. Yay, thank you. Even U2 has dud albums. Looking at you, Pop. Like if you should look that up. I don't even think Spotify has it because it's such a bad album. But this passage says, no, everything he does always is good. Continuously forever good. All things he's done, all things he's made, give thanks and declare and bless his name. 
every crashing wave, every insect, every mountain, every moment of life that we even experience together, the hard ones and the soft ones, the kind ones and all, all of it declares that he is awesome at his job and he is good now and forever. All of it gracious, all of it merciful, all of it patient, all of it rich in love. He is abundantly good. And what that means for us is we get to stop trying to desperately be the good. Uh, you think, can think about all the modifiers. Want to be a good mom. Want to be a good dad. I just want to make sure I'm a good boss. Just want to make sure I'm a good employee, a good neighbor. A good. We add good to all of the things. It's our modifier of like, we want to be that, right? But then these definitions are so unbelievably hard. You know, to be a good mother means that you've got to feed them correctly. You've got to make sure that all of their nutrition and their plates look so beautiful. Not only do you have to sustain them by getting them clothed, but you also have to be thinking about their emotional well-being because after all, you're shaping an entire human. And as you shape that entire human, make sure that you're Instagramming it perfectly too so that everybody else can be inspired by your goodness. And then you come onto this crashing guilt year after year of, I can't believe it. This human I cannot, you know, deal with. And then you think, am I a bad mom? Same for work. You got to be you got to be woke. You also have to be efficient. You have to be laid back, but you also have to be hard. You have to be, you know, really proactive and you have to take measures, but also you need to learn to be, you know, patient and chill. And after a while, we're like, am I just a bad employee? But here's the kicker about what God does for you. Because it's exhausting trying to be declared good. Having other people come and tell you, hey, you're actually good at that. You know, even this day above all days, everyone's being told they're the best mom in the world. The problem is, is that you all know that everybody's being told you're the best mom in the world. And you know that can't possibly be true. People are just saying things over you as if they can make it so. But what we see in Romans 5 and throughout the entirety of the scriptures is that what God has done is he has sent his son Jesus who has entered into this world being loving, compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, and he's done it with his entire life. Good. At the end of the day, what you can fundamentally say about Jesus is that he was good. Always. And then he dies for what? All of us who aren't. We're none of us are good. And then what happens is that as he rises from the dead and he has clothed himself in this amazing glory and righteousness of the one who died and then rose again, Jesus turns around and he says, because I did all of that, you are all righteous. You are all good. And so what gets declared over you over and over again because of Jesus' death and resurrection and his life is this, you are good. And he means it. It's not a flimsy Hallmark card for 20 bucks. It's the truth written into that book of life that we talked about. And so he says, you know, to these new mothers, Allie, you are good. You are good. Sarah, you are good. Jordan, you are good. And all of us that are not new mothers, you are good. Why? Not because we're doing it all well. Not because we're living up to this amazing sleep schedule or standard for life. 
Not because we have the greatest people on earth around us or the, the most curated thing. Why are we declared good? Because he himself is. And that's what he's poured over you so you get to live in that freedom and delight in listening to his declaration over you. You are now the righteousness of God. A little bit more. He also says that we praise him and we enter that praise because he is ruling and reigning. That's what he starts in on uh, in verse 11. All of these works just speak to the glory of his kingdom, speak to his might, that all people might know his work, and it's this glorious, bright kingdom, a kingdom that's everlasting forever and ever. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, an English preacher with awesome beard, said this, says, those who bless God, who praise God, from their hearts rejoice to see him enthroned, glorified, and magnified in power. Those who praise God rejoice in seeing him on the throne, glorified and magnified, everlasting, a dominion that endures through all generations, keeps going on and on. The psalm even starts with that. I praise you, God, the king, the one in charge, your kingdom enduring forever and ever. I think history is important when we talk about this stuff. Miral and I, last two months ago, we went to the Met in New York, which is really this amazing kind of museum of the history of art. You know, you walk through these incredible rooms that are well maintained and well lit, and you can just feel, you know, like kind of like when you go to Westfield Mall in Century City, you're like, I feel money. Uh, the Met is that kind of place. You walk in, you're like, I just feel a lot of money. I feel a lot of importance. And really, as much as it is the history of art, it's also the history of power and kingdom. Each room that you go through is a different kingdom that once ruled and reigned the known world and was able to, in that abundance, create these incredible sculptures and paintings and mosaics and all of that. So you walk through, oh, these are the Egyptians. They were so dominant. These are the Persians, the Greeks, the Mongolians, the Romans, the Arabic, the European, the Russians even, the Chinese, the Americans get in on it at the end. And we're like, oh, each room, this is a kingdom with power. But these powerful empires that had their fingerprints on everything, where their rulers were seen as gods, even ours, right? And now they're just kind of given a few pages in a history book that maybe someone learns freshman year. Or in the Met, it's about 1,000 square feet. It takes about 500 steps to walk through it. There's this one room that has all of these tiny little jewels and things. I think it was the Greeks. And you just, it's like, they're so small and they're so insignificant. But you've got to believe that at one point, someone was, you know, praising this little tiny thing. And we're just passing it because it's like, oh, it's going to close soon. And I got to go see the real stuff. That's what the kingdoms of this world end in. That's how it works. They rise and fall. Dynasties come and go. Companies get launched and then in their influence. You can be a, a prize today and nobody tomorrow. But the rule and the reign of God doesn't end. It only grows. 
His mission is to make himself known and to restore all things, and he is winning at it, and he will win at it. There's going to be more kingdom, not less kingdom. Throughout all of history, the, the, you know, the massive empires get to this point where they're like, okay, we need to now conserve ourselves, kind of like where we're at in America. Too, too soon, too woke. Uh, and then you start to be like, oh, how can I maintain this small little kingdom? Christ's kingdom only extends, only grows. When Jesus is on earth and he's talking about his world, his kingdom, what he wants it to look like, he's not talking about a vision for the world, as, as many of us do. Oh, wouldn't it be nice if the world looked like this? No, he's actually talking about the world as it really is. His vision of the world is the vision of the world because he's the king of it, which means you can stop putting yourself on the throne. That's why Spurgeon's quote so great. Those who actually praise God delight to see him on the throne. Some of us have an image of Christ on a throne and it terrifies us because we're not there. Or we think, well, maybe am I his main advisor? Am I his main go-to? Am I the one pulling the strings behind and he's on the throne? No, the person who praises God, who delights in God, like the writer of the Psalms, delights in seeing him there, magnified. So we don't have to reduce our lives to some massive game of king of the hill, just trying to get a little bit more on top. And we get to praise the conquering king because there's not a single president who's ever walked on water, not a single one. There's not one CEO who has defeated evil. There's not one real estate mogul who's declared your sins forgiven. Not a single Caesar ever, and there were a lot of them, not one of them walked out of a tomb. Praise God because he rules and he reigns and not us and not any of those other people. So we've talked a lot about his massive, awesome goodness. And then the psalmist kind of turns and says, he's also trustworthy. We have this big painted picture of a throne and an awesome, unending, good God. And then he says, you can also trust that big God to be kind with your soul. We praise him because he's trustworthy, because he will be careful with you. We praise him because it says he upholds those who are falling. He lifts up those who are on the dirt, on the mat. He gives food in the due seasons. He satisfies the desires of hearts. He's kind in all of his works. It says he is near, he hears, he saves. These are all relational, close words. A God who is kind with your heart. One of my favorite novels is by John Steinbeck. It's called Of Mice and Men. It's really short. There's also a John Malkovich movie from 1992, so you can go see young versions of these actors if you want. But in that, there's this really big character, really huge, massive, strong man. And he loves so intensely, he gets these little mice, and he plays with them, and he pets them, and he's so excited with them, and he strangles them, kills them, crushes them. I won't tell you the whole story, but that's what he does. And I think that that's often our picture with God. He's so big, he's so mighty, we're scared that he might crush us. Can he be trusted? 
even in the midst of disappointments? Can he be trusted with my heart, with my soul, with my life? This psalmist says, yes. There's also the story of, of Jesus, and he's teaching, and he's, and he's uh, doing what Jesus does, and this person comes to him, Jairus, and he says, my daughter is sick, and she's dying. Can you come and heal her? And Jesus says, yes, I'll heal her. And he starts walking back to this place, and he's following this guy. And then there's a big commotion. It's a whole other story. And Jesus gets sidetracked. There's a bunch of teaching. There's other healing happening. And then they begin on their way again. And then someone comes to meet them on the path and says, it's too late. She's already dead. I mean, just to imagine the whole scene, you know, Jairus, he had a, a wife, the, the child's mother, who said, you go find someone who can heal him. And he's out there and he found him. He's on his way. It doesn't work out. Jesus says, let's go anyway. He gets to the, to the house where they're all at, and people are weeping and wailing. There's this huge commotion. But in the midst of it, there's this mother and father who've just lost a child. And Jesus says, she's going to live. She's just down for a moment. Everyone laughs at him. And he, he sends the crowds away. There's these few moments where Jesus actually sends people out and says, I'm going to do something, but you have to leave. So he sends all of these people that are weeping and wailing, and he goes just to the father and the mother, tenderly, kindly, taking them with him. They're the only people out. The, the dead daughter, the mother, the father, and Jesus, and they walk into the room, and he goes to the child, and he says in very tender words, get up, little girl. Let's walk and live, and she does. You can trust God to be attentive to you. Attentive, in that moment, he's attentive to the news of death, to the, to the illness, he's attentive to the crowds, he's attentive to the mother and the father and the child, and he goes and he is tender and he is kind just as much as he is mighty and good. The Lord is strong and mighty. You can trust him so you can praise him. Let's pray. Jesus, we, we echo the words of this psalmist right now, that our mouths would speak in praise of the Lord, and that every creature would praise your holy name forever and ever that we would spend our lives declaring these stories and excited about the work that you've done, not just with us, but far, far away. Thank you for giving us a picture of your goodness this morning. Amen.